welcome to the music room with Aileen Miracle and Katie Manichi. All right, so we are super excited to talk in episode 29 about how to adapt your lessons when you see your kids less. Uh, But before we dive into that, we just want to give a little reminder. Uh, Make sure that if you haven't subscribed to The Music Room in iTunes that you do that so that you're notified every time we come out with a new episode. We've been been trying to release one once every two weeks. And also make sure that you leave a review in iTunes so that other music educators can find it. Yes. And in the last episode, I read a review that someone had left about the podcast and I wanted to share another one. So this is a really cool one. The review says, this is the best podcast I've ever heard for teaching music, which is so nice. Thank you. Oh, and this is by DStay81 is the username. Um, He or she says, I'm in my 12th year of teaching elementary music, and I, like Aileen, did my Kodai levels at Capitol, which Katie did as well. True. Had many of the teachers she references helps even more as she gives the lesson ideas I wish I'd thought of. Whether you're seasoned at Kodai and on a first name basis with Lucy Lockett or just considering this approach, she will make you excited about lesson planning. That was a great review. So thank you. Great. Thank you for leaving that. So make sure, like I said, if you haven't left a review, then if you do that, I'll be looking for more reviews to read. Sounds good. All right. So, um, so like I said, the topic for today is adapting your lessons when you see kids less. And the reason that Katie and I thought about doing this topic is that uh, we only get to see students once every five days. We're on an A, B, C, D, E rotation for 50 minutes, five zero minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to now, Katie, when you first came into the district, I, I, am I remembering correctly? You didn't have to make the switch. Um, I entered at the first official block here. So correct. Uh, I am used to this 50 minute block. It's all okay. good. Yeah. Okay. So my first several years in, uh, the district that we're in, I saw kids twice. This is first through fifth grade twice mm-hmm. every week. So we weren't on a rotation. So it was like I might have one class on Monday and Thursday and another class on Tuesday and Friday. Like it was kind of sporadic. Um, 35 minutes twice a a week. Mm -hmm. And then we made the change to once every five days because we're on an ABCDE rotation for 50 minutes, which means like we've had so many snow days. And that's when I really love that rotation. So like typically in our last schedule, if Tuesday is a snow day and I was supposed to have Mrs. Brown's class on Tuesday, I wouldn't see them again for another week or, you know, or for another few days if Correct. It was twice, twice a week. But with this, if Tuesday was supposed to be a C day, then, and it's a snow day, then Wednesday is C day. Yes. We just bump until we're at yeah. school again. Yeah. So we still get to see those kids. Mm-hmm. So when we made that switch, Um, There was definitely some trepidation because people were, A, just worried about, I think, keeping track of of that because it can be kind of tricky to keep track of. But I think more importantly, people were worried about the loss of instructional time. Correct. Um, So I did a little math just based off of like how much or how many lessons I typically would have seen kids 
with the old system and how, you know, or how many lessons or how many times I see them with this new, um, because it's not going to be just like half the amount of lessons because of that rotation. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So most grade levels in the old system, I was seeing them for the full year around 1,750 minutes. Correct. Approximately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with this new system for the grade levels that we only see once every rotation, which would be first, second and fifth grade. And I'll explain about third and fourth grade in a minute, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. And kindergarten is a whole other beast. We a whole to- other beast. <laughs> um, but for first, fourth and fifth grade with this new system, we see them around 1,600 minutes a year. So there's actually only a difference of 150 minutes, which was surprising to me. Sure. I mean, if you think about it weekly, it only changes about 20 minutes of music. The difference, I think, is the frequency in which we see them. So um, it's it's just that retention factor of only seeing them every five school days. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and then third and fourth grade. So Katie's actually at my building. Mm-hmm. Um, you're at, at two other buildings. But um, with third and fourth grade, it's a very unique situation. I actually just presented at a uh, chapter in Cleveland and was trying to explain the system to them. And they kind of looked at me like I had three heads because <laughs> 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 it seems a little bit it's really different. So with third and fourth grade, we see them twice every five days. Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. in a lot of schools, the first time they, um, you know, they'll come to music with one music teacher. And in the second class, they'll come to music with the traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in a lot of people's brains, they're like, oh, well, you could get through like double the curriculum with third and fourth grade because you're seeing them twice. But that's not necessarily the case if you're splitting the class. Correct. Now, I do have two classes, one in third grade and one in fourth grade, where I actually do see them both times. But I haven't been moving through the curriculum twice as fast because I'm still keeping them on track with all the other classes that I see once. And we're Uh also collaborating on things that we're doing, but I'm doing more like project-based learning. And, you know, I've been trying composer of the month and country of the month and just doing some like extension, really more extension activities. So I'm still like, you know, doing rhythm and melody like I would typically Uh in a lesson, Uh but I'm just kind of experimenting and trying some different things. So that's just a little background of where we're at. So in that case, third and fourth grade would get about 3,200 minutes of music in third and fourth grade. Sure. And to fill in the context of that, our district decided to balance out the amount of minutes they needed in specials to complete true block scheduling. Right. Every grade level has double of something. So just to tie in the other grade levels, if our listeners are wondering, Mm -hmm. first grade gets double art, meaning they get two 50-minute blocks of art. Second and fifth grade get two 50-minute blocks of PE every five days. So each grade level is consistent in each building of our district. So even if they were to change schools, if they're in first grade, 
every elementary school is offering twice the art that year. Every right. elementary school is offering twice the second grade. That way there's consistency across the district. They played around with, and that's actually how I was hired, um, allowing some schools to sort of handle that block scheduling question mark on their own. Um, mm-hmm. The year that I was hired in the district, every student at my my main school that I was hired to teach at had double music. So I had... Hey, I don't know that I knew that. Yeah. So um, my counterpart at the time, her name is Tina, and she's amazing. She taught all of the students, and I taught all of the students. So... Um, it was really an interesting year. And I think the concern for our district was that because they strive so much to give a consistent experience, they did not want some schools to get the reputation of being an art school or a performing arts school or a a sports school. So it was an interesting experiment, a very interesting year. Yeah. And I think that's a aha moment. Like I said, when I was presenting in Cleveland and they were trying to wrap their minds around this system. I think that's an aha moment I had that like, we are a big enough district. How many elementary schools do we have? Is it like 15? I was going to say 16. Okay. So we have 16 and 17 are already plotted out. (laughs) Right. So because we're such a big district, we do aim for uniformity. And I think that's something where like, if you work in a smaller school district, like one school in the district might decide to do things this way and another school might decide to do things this way. And then you might not even have a traveler. You might be the only music teacher at the building because of how you have set up music at your building. But because we have so many elementary schools, they're aiming for uniformity and like a really consistent experience. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, you know, I think, like I said, people were very concerned about seeing kids less and what that would look like and would kids have a hard time retaining. And we can definitely talk about that. Um, that's one of the things I was going to talk about. But I think overall I've actually really liked the 50-minute blocks because I feel like I'm not so rushed in my teaching, mm-hmm. you know? I think the whole retention thing was definitely something that people were concerned about. But I think with 50 minutes, it does allow us to dive deeper into something, Mm -hmm. whereas 35 Mm -hmm. minutes feels really rushed. So I think there are pros and cons to either approach. But I think definitely um, the ABCDE, that rotation is just so nice with um, snow days and any other like you know, professional development days and that kind of thing, I feel like you definitely make up for lost time there. I you agree. Know? All right. So ways that we've adapted to really kind of stay on track with the curriculum. Um, I think the number one way is just, I feel like I'm more intentional in my lesson planning. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like not that I was putting fluff in to my other lessons, but because I have less time with them, I really look at everything in my lesson plan and just make sure that it's really intentional, that it's, you know, purposeful, that it's doing what I want it to do. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll put something like a brain break into the lesson just because that's where kids are at and they need it. And that's still important. Sure. I really kind of monitor my lesson to make sure that everything really has a very clear purpose. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I think that in 
a lot of ways, my lessons tend to plan themselves in some ways because if the first lesson that you plan is intentional, even if you get through each of those aspects, Mm -hmm. five letter days later, I want to make sure that the retention is there. So the way that I've done that is to make sure that there's some element of review built into that lesson. Right. And so as I'm building in the review, the next step kind of reveals itself as I'm planning. And so it's almost nice to give it space in some ways. And like you said, because of that longer time, that 50-minute block with students, I do feel that there are moments for discussion that I wouldn't have had normally. And I can give thinking time to my students that I wouldn't have been able to give them in the past because I felt like I had to get through everything. Yes. In our our district, we have a course called Making Thinking Visible, which is based off the book of the same name. And I took it many years ago. I should probably retake it just because it's been so long. Same. But um, we were taught a lot of great thinking routines with kids to really get them thinking. Like one that um, our colleague Jason shared in a meeting, which was probably shared in the course, but like I said, it's just been so long since I took the course, was um, a routine that's called, if I remember correctly, what so what, now what? Does yes. that sound clear to you? Am yes. I getting it in the right order? Mm-hmm. So the idea is like, you know, after you do like a song or a dance or whatever activity you that you just did with kids, then you ask them, what did we just do? And you have them like verbalize that. And then you ask them, um, so what? Like, why did we do that? Is pretty mm-hmm. much so what means. And then the question is, now what? Like, now what are we going to do with it? Right. So because of that 15-minute block, because I, you know, have a little bit longer, I was able to do that more comfortably, I think. And I um, actually did this with a fifth-grade class where, like, I had taught them the I Love a Rainy Night dance, Mm -hmm. which is it's from Sana Longden, and I can link to that in the show notes. Um, It's a great it's a really fun dance that fifth graders love, but we did the rainy night dance and they loved it. And then we talked about what we did and like, why did we do it? And kids came up with some really cool, you know, ideas about that. Like, Oh, well it fits into the time signature or the meter that we're practicing, which I hadn't even thought about. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's Uh, great. Yeah. And then when I said, well now what, like, what are we going to do with it now? Um, it was around Christmas time, like we were also starting to pre- prepare for our school-wide sing-along. And they're like, well, we should try it with another song. Like, what if we tried it with Feliz Navidad? <laughs> and we did, and it went really well. So I had them perform it at the sing-along. It's so fun. Yeah, it was really fun. So, um, so yeah, I feel like that 15 minutes does kind of allow us to d- dive a little bit deeper, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think really looking at each thing in your lesson, but then the 50 minutes just also allows us to really dive into more like metacognition, you know, more thinking routines. Agreed. All right. And then the second way that I had was I call it 
meat and potatoes. <laughs> so the idea here is that like, just so that you can stay on track with your lessons is that sometimes, you know, with, if you have an assembly that kind of cuts into your time or, um, you have a two hour delay on two hour delay days in our district, we have shortened music classes. So instead of 50 minutes, we go back to 30 minutes. Um, so instead of just doing like a completely different lesson on that day, I stay with the same lesson, but I do what I call meat and potatoes, which I just look at what's the most important thing in that lesson. Uh Like if there's a new song, if there's an assessment, if there's something that I really want them to do, I'll kind of format a different lesson so that they get the meat and the potatoes of the original lesson. Right. And that could be as simple as if the song, if the melodic content is the focus, then you save the game for the next lesson. Or, you know, if you were going to add multiple instruments, maybe you just work on one part or, you know, so just taking that, isolating the element that is most important. Right. And I still, I mean, it's kind of a hard balance because I still want to make sure that the kids aren't just like sitting there for 30 minutes listening. Mm -hmm. So I still will, you know, I'll still add a game, but maybe we don't play as many games, you know, um, yeah, can we kind of get through the most important part of the lesson so that they can keep on track and then they don't get a lesson behind, Yes. you know? All right, so that is meat and potatoes. This next one's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I got this idea from um, our colleague and my friend, Matt Parker, who was on the podcast episode a few episodes ago about children's choir. Mm-hmm. So Matt calls it Frankensteining. <laughs> <laughs> So the idea of Frankensteining a lesson is let's say like one class gets because of assemblies or you were sick on that day or whatever, like they get a couple lessons behind and you want to kind of catch them up to where everybody else is. It's kind of like you take like half of one lesson and half of another. So it's like you take the meat and potatoes of one lesson and the meat and potatoes of another and you smush them together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and I find this really effective. Sometimes it really needs to happen. And then because you Frankenstein the, the lesson, then you can jump the that class ahead to the same lesson that everyone else is on. Correct. Yeah, I find it really helpful. And it's fun to say. It is. <laughs> um, all right. And then the next way that I have found uh, helpful for adapting lessons is sometimes having like filler lessons. And I don't mean fluff. I mean, like you might have two classes that for whatever reason are ahead of everybody else. Um, and you want to catch those other three classes up. So, or you have just like this one off class that you're seeing more than everyone else. I feel like it doesn't happen as much with our rotating days. I agree. But sometimes it still happens because of assemblies or because like you were sick for two days or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have done things like escape rooms where instead of doing it with every single class, I'll do it with three out of my five classes. And it's, like I said, it's not fluff. It's not just like a meaningless lesson. The kids absolutely love it. They're super engaged, but it allows the other classes to kind of catch up. Right. Um, and I have also done this with centers and it kind of kills me because like, I did this center's lesson 
to practice law with my second graders and I really loved it. Um, but I only did it with three out of the five classes because the other two classes just got behind. Oh, you know? sure. So yeah, escape rooms I've done that with and centers lessons I've done that with. As long as there's not like an assessment within those lessons or something really important that you want your kids to do. And it's hard because every lesson is important. So part of me has a hard time with this because I'm like, well, I wouldn't have had them do the lesson if I didn't find it important, you know? Sure. But just in order to kind of keep everyone on the same lesson or to catch classes up so they're not three lessons behind or whatever, um, I find that really useful to have. So I've done that with centers. I've done it with escape rooms. But sometimes I'll have just like a cool project that mm-hmm. in that lesson, it doesn't rely on anything else. Like you, they don't have to have had this lesson in order to do the lesson. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, yeah. So filler lessons. Okay. Next one is I have found myself using slightly less songs for my repertoire. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way that we were both trained at Capitol is, you know, if you look at a concept plan or a PPP, um, you often will have something like five songs to that you're teaching the songs or you're using with the kids to prepare a concept. Mm-hmm. And then you use those same five songs to practice the concept once it's been presented. But then you'll have like three new songs or it might be like two songs in a listening lesson or something to that are new to the kids to practice that lesson to see if they can transfer their learning. Correct. To new material. Um, and I have found myself teaching slightly fewer songs. I would uh, agree with that. Yeah, just because just with the amount of time that we have with our kids, you know, I, I sometimes will, you know, I'll hear another music teacher talk about a song that they're doing with their students. And I'm like, Oh, I love that song. And then I think, well, why, why am I not doing that song? Oh, because I see the kids last. <laughs> right. You know, you just do. Like I used to do mouse mousey to prepare to practice dough and I don't do it anymore. And it's not that I don't like the song. There are songs that I, have, are no longer using because I got sick of the song. <laughs> right. Like Snail Snail. I haven't done that for. I haven't done Snail Snail in forever. And I in used to love it. 12 years. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I used to use it all the time. So some songs I just kind of get tired of and I don't want to do anymore. But there are some songs that I really like and I just have found myself not using them because, you know, um, I just have run out of time and I can only do so many, but there are also like songs that you can repurpose for many different things. And I find that really valuable Yes, with this kind of schedule where you're seeing kids last. So like apple tree I use for a wide variety of purposes. I use apple tree for so me, even though there is a law in there and there is a dough in there. Um, I use the first four beats. Sure. You isolate. Yes. Because Truth be told, there aren't a ton of songs that are purely so me that aren't contrived. Um, right. It's still a really natural interval for kids to sing, but there just aren't that many songs besides Seesaw. With Apple Tree, I'm just extracting that so in me, and then we get to preparing law, and then I'll go ahead and do the first two phrases, and then we get to preparing dough, and I do the whole song. You know what I mean? And then it's also, of course, great for TT and Ta. 
And I'm also using it with my second graders right now to practice just the um, idea of doing a round, like we've been singing it in a round. And I've also been doing an ostinato with it. So I'm just like using it for a wide variety of reasons. And that rocked their ostinato the other day. I enjoyed it. Thank you. (laughs) It was so fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, So yeah, I, I think just finding songs that work for a variety of reasons is it's really helpful. I mean, I try to do a new song in almost every lesson, but sometimes it doesn't happen. So when you're only seeing them once every five days and they're getting a new song most of the time, but maybe not all of the time, then it can be hard to fit in, you know, all of the material that you would typically do with them. I agree. I do think when we bring songs back, it it's comforting for a lot of our students too. It makes them feel more confident and willing to try new things. So in that way, I think something positive has come out of that challenge of trying to make those 50-minute lessons work because I think that our students enjoy getting to bring those songs back. And I didn't used to take the time to do that. Yeah. And it's almost like you and I have had conversations because of teaching together, that whole idea of the spiral curriculum. Right. You know, that like... And this took me many years to kind of wrap my mind around, but I think I used to always just be like, let's say I'm preparing t Tika and Lola or something like that. Like I would just be focused on t Tika and Lola in that lesson and that would be all I was really looking at. Mm-hmm. And that's still pretty much the case. I mean, besides working on things like improvisation and form and part work and all that, that that's I I still have a pretty strong rhythmic focus and a pretty strong melodic focus, but um, something else that I have found myself doing more is kind of spiraling spiraling back more to Mm -hmm. previous concepts um, and not feeling guilty about it. Like I think that's great if you're preparing tea ticka, but go ahead and just do a song that has ticka ticka and just spiral back to that because it's really good for kids who are still struggling, struggling. You know, absolutely. And makes them feel successful, too, you know. And I think that it it's a great way to strike a balance if you do work with a traveler, because in my case, as the traveler, it frees me so that I I can go back and create a lesson where I don't feel beholden to my home teacher, to you or any of the other teachers I work with, because my focus is more of the spiral as yep. the non-primary assessor. I do assess, but for the most part, at at least two of my three schools, I don't have that pressure to assess. So um, I have this freedom to go in, craft a lesson that has that spiral focus, and then I don't feel like I'm stepping on the toes of the other teacher I work with. Right. Yeah. So like you were practicing, I don't know, I don't remember, like with third grade, weren't you practicing like So Me and La with them, but they know, they do know Doe and Ray. Right. Going ahead and doing So Me and La. And I think that's great. Like they need that, especially like I said, for those kids who are maybe struggling a little bit, it's such a good review for them. Yeah. There were a few students that, that kind of had an eye-opening moment, whether it was just connecting to the staff or um, whatever it was. It was, it was kind of fun to see that they were able to make a connection with somebody new. And it wasn't that they weren't taught well. Obviously, they were. But it's neat to kind of get to see them catch up in that way because they've had this different experience or heard it a different way. So I think it's affirming. 
Well, and I think that also goes back to um, this system that we have in our district seems really odd. They, they would have music one time a week with me and another one time, you know, the second time with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does, I understand when I first heard that, I thought it seemed a little bit ridiculous, but I do think that there is... <laughs> power not that they would see you a second time that's not what I mean that that's ridiculous but just having two different teachers it does seem a little bit silly right sure um, I think the power there is that they just hear a slightly different perspective Mm -hmm. and sometimes things will click because they're hearing it in a different way you know just nature yeah that's great all right um so the next way that I've adapted is um I feel like I'm sometimes just not um, in the preparation phase for as long. And I do still feel like I'm giving them the preparation they need. So I don't feel like I'm rushing through preparation. But in retrospect, I think I was probably not, um, or I was probably preparing for too long in the past. Sure. I think it makes us more efficient. Yes. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a good word. I do think it makes us more efficient. I have actually heard this, um, as a criticism um, from Hungarian teachers <laughs> that they feel like Americans take too long to prepare. Mm. Now, this might not be a like widespread, every Hungarian teacher believes that, but I have heard that as like, you know. Interesting. Just like a little, you know, story um, that, that that is something that is sometimes shared that we as Americans sometimes take too long. Um, so... And I think that in, at least in my case, I probably was just like, okay, well, I don't know. Well, maybe they're ready. Well, uh, no, let's do a little bit more. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I would, I would make the connection to parenting there. I, I think that for most milestones, which I, you know, would be similar to our presentation in the classroom in some ways, the child is ready long before we are. Yes. As parents, it is so hard to know when your child is ready for something new. Right. And we tend to make it a much bigger deal. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have just found myself like, like I said, I still feel like I'm preparing for many lessons, but you know, um, our students are very well prepared. Thank you. They are. But instead of taking like, um, you know, maybe six weeks of twice a week music, which would actually be 12 lessons. Right. Right. Six weeks of 50 minute lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I can still tell that they're ready, you know, and then when I present it, it's it it, it still goes smoothly. So I just like I I think that word that you used efficient is perfect, because when you see kids less, less, you just you have to be more efficient. (laughs) Well, and one of the things I've really learned from watching you just passively, just being around you, is that you are so efficient in your assessment as well. And I think as a younger teacher um, in my own career, I had this idea that data had to be something that the students had written down and given me. And I've really learned to embrace data that I can collect without doing a worksheet or something formal. So those formative assessments, you are so good at. I've so often seen you with a notebook writing down the names of of just the students that need extra work or just the students that are really exceeding. Um, 
And sometimes you ask them to just close their eyes and raise their hand. And trusting that data that you collect, I think, makes you so much more efficient. And I know I've learned a lot from just watching that. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think that actually goes well with this topic of Absolutely. Because, you know, when you see kids once every five days for 50 minutes, you don't have time to do a bunch of paper pencil assessments with them and then to grade those as well, you know. And is that always best for kids? And is it it timely feedback? You know, how often are we really going to see them and be able to give them that true feedback? They really don't always need to write something down in order for it to be authentic, you know, for it to be accurate of their their understanding of the material. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, like I've used clickers cards before, which I have a couple tutorials, um, on my blog that I can link to for anybody that's, that's interested. Um, but the idea of clickers is just, it's a really fun and efficient way to collect data mm-hmm. without students writing things down. Um, but I've also done it without clickers. So like you said, um, I sometimes will just tell the kids, close your eyes and raise your hand for whatever answer you think is correct. And then I'm writing down just the names of students who are not answering correct. And then at the end of the assessment, I know who's struggling, you know? Right. So yeah, that's definitely helpful when you're seeing them lost and just don't have the time. And, and then it's, you know, sometimes I think when you take out papers and pencils and kids can tell it's a test, like there's some anxiety, but when you put the game up on the smart board and it's just this fun game with cute clip art, then, you know, they get drawn into that and they don't realize, Oh, I'm being assessed right now, yes. you know, but then you have great information to differentiate and to improve your instructions so that they do get it better. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So yeah, just, pre- I just have found myself definitely not preparing as long, but still making sure that they're ready. All right. So the next one retention Um, I feel like you just have to be a little bit more understanding of kids not retaining. (laughs) Agreed. Um, I just, yeah, like I, the other day, um, with second grade, I had the song Sarita and the lesson plan. Oh, I don't know that one. It's like, Sarita, Sarita, Rita, Rita. It's like a greeting song from Zimbabwe. Great for Dell. Um, and I, I think I like showed them the hand signs and they had to sing inside their head and figure out what song it was. And, and like all the, the classes, like they knew it was a familiar melody, but I think in only one of the classes they were, someone was able to go, Oh, that's Sarita. Um, all the other classes struggled with that. And I realized after I had taught that first lesson, I was like, Oh, it may have been a good long while, before, you know, since <laughs> I have touched that song. I haven't yet looked back to see, but it was probably many lessons ago that we did Sarita just because of, you know, other things going on like programs and sing-alongs or whatever. Like it's, it's probably uh-huh. been quite a while before they, you know, since they sang that. Um, so instead of me being frustrated with them, I, in my head was like, Ooh, this has probably been a while. And if it's been six weeks since we sang it or six lessons, you know what I mean? Right. Then yeah, they're going to struggle a little bit with it. So a lot of times I'll be like, okay, um, the song is Sarita and I'm sure you'll remember it, but let me just sing it by myself once just so you can get it back in your heads and then I'll sing it for them. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. And then they'll sing it and they'll be fine. Right. So I just modeling that for them, like just, 
going through songs that, that we haven't done in a while, or maybe they're singing something incorrectly and like, okay, everyone just stop for a minute. Just listen to me sing at once. And just being understanding that truly, if it's been five or six weeks since they heard something, or it's been three weeks since you saw them because of break and because of a snow day and whatever, do you know what I mean? Like sure. just understanding that these are kids and it's been a while since they heard this. So just sing it for them again. They'll get it. You know, we forget that we've been singing these songs. Yes. Daily. Yeah. <laughs> Us, we hear it all the time. And so we sometimes forget, like, truly, the kid has not heard this in quite a while. <laughs> sure. And it's good teaching to review. It's good teaching to have the majority of your lesson be familiar. Yes. Or that's, like sometimes okay. I'll teach, especially with songs that are longer or a little bit trickier, I'll just teach one half of the song. Yes. In one lesson, and then in the next lesson, we'll review that first half of the song, and then I'll teach the second half of the song. Um, yeah, that's just when you're not seeing them very much. I just find that really helpful. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, in our training, we talked about, I want to say 60% of the lesson being familiar mm-hmm. and 40% being unknown or um or movement or something else that that doesn't have to be retained in that way so that the majority of your lesson really should be something that is comforting and familiar for the student right I don't remember hearing a percentage but yeah yeah, that whole like known to unknown idea so they really should know a lot of what you're doing that's why like I only like to do one new song a lesson. I don't mm-hmm. like to do two new songs. The only time I do two new songs in a lesson is if we're preparing for a program <laughs> and right. I'm kind of forced to, but like I even find in a 50 minute lesson, if I put in two new songs, their eyes sometimes glaze over a little bit, you know? Well, and they're mixing just, things up and yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. And the last thing I have for ways that I've adapted is just to let go if you can't get through everything just it's okay (laughs) you know I we have that teacher guilt of like oh my at the end of the second grade year my kids have to know half known they have to know Ray and they have to know this and they have to know that when you're seeing them less like get through what you can get through you know, be intentional about it, do the best you can, but sometimes you're not going to get through everything. And and the beautiful thing about how most of us have it set up is that you probably will see them the following year. Now, if you don't, and they're mm-hmm. going to another music teacher and, you know, you're worried about that, like, I, I get that, you know, you want, if you want their, your students to be prepared for the next music teacher, but if you're getting them the next year, then, and you just don't feel like you can get to a certain concept, then don't. You know, right. I would much rather it's kind of like that whole um, inch wide or mile deep. Like I would I would rather go deeper with a concept that they know than try to shove in a new concept that they don't. I agree. You know, not ready for. We were really fortunate as a district to identify power standards in our curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be absolutely liberating. And we had a curriculum advisor at that time who is now our principal. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember him saying, you are the experts. It doesn't mean that you don't ever have to cover it. 
but you have, let's say, 45 things that are in these strands, and maybe only 10 of them are non-negotiable. Right. And I was just so impressed that he gave us that autonomy to sit down as a department and say, what are our non-negotiables? And so I always go back to those. I try really hard to make sure that I feel comfortable with those things that we've identified as the most powerful and meaningful for each grade level. Yes. And if if I can get to those and a few others, I feel like that's a successful year. Yes. Yeah. And I, I also really appreciate that when we sat down as a elementary music teacher department, um, that we kind of allowed ourselves as teachers to say, okay, well, like at the end of the second grade year, the standards say that the kids should know through Ray. Mm-hmm. But as far as when we're creating assessments or as far as when um, we, whatever we're, we call them performance level descriptors, but what are we holding kids accountable for when we're assessing? Mm-hmm. Like maybe we don't sit, put Ray on there for second grade because some of us are getting to it at the very end of the year, you know, and, and we not- also identified that those standards were set before the block scheduling. And so yeah. we gave right. ourselves a little bit more room knowing that we would have them for twice as long in third grade. So there's all this room to catch up. Yes. Yes. So um, I have heard Sandy Mathias say this many times and she's always made me feel better about it. Um, she used to be the director at Capital University for mm-hmm. the coding program. And is now retired, but um, I have often just had conversations with her um, because she often would come and observe student teachers. And um, I would say something along the lines of like, oh, well, my kids are a little bit behind, you know, or, or my kids only know through this rhythm or they only know this solfa and they're in fourth grade. And she would always say like, Elaine, they're not behind. They are where they are. And I think that we as music teachers need to we need to give ourselves grace. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've said this before, but I think it's a message that everybody needs to hear every once in a while that you are doing the best you can and you're getting as far as you can. And that's okay. Yeah. We don't really see the kids for that often, even no. if, even in situations where, you know, people who are listening right now see them more frequently than you and I do. You're still not seeing them that often, typically, unless you have a dream you know, job where you're seeing them every day, you're seeing them three times a week or something. That's not very typical. It's usually once or twice a week when you talk to other music teachers across the nation, mm-hmm. once or twice a week. And we may be the only music other than the radio that they are exposed to all week. Right. So it's so okay. If, if they don't get to Ray, but they leave second grade, knowing that music is a source of joy for them mm-hmm. and knowing a lot of songs that they absolutely love and, uh, you know, having a, a vocabulary of different musical terms that they've heard about and, and finding joy in singing games. And they're, you know, teaching a hand jive to their little brother or sister. You know what I mean? Like those are mm-hmm. the things that, that, joy and that the the legacy of like carrying on folk traditions um and you know i don't know i'm probably preaching to the choir right now i think you probably are but that's okay (laughs) we need to hear it you know i i was having a a similar conversation with my students 
uh, just today because we are in the middle of testing and Mm -hmm. they're feeling frazzled and anxieties are high. Um, I wish it weren't that way, but it is. Mm -hmm. And it's also the dead of winter and Mm -hmm. sometimes they forget to be kind to each other. And I had a class that was struggling a little bit with uh, a game. We were playing King of the Mountain. Mm -hmm. And they weren't really struggling with the actual concepts. They were struggling more with the fact that I don't have control over the game and who gets a turn when. Right. You know, they said, well, I've been sitting here and I didn't have a turn. And and I said, well, I don't teach because I want to control you or get you to a certain point or make you a robot. I said, Mm -hmm. I teach to guide you. So sometimes I don't have control over the game or sometimes I don't have control over the the direction that a lesson goes. But sometimes it gets better because when I guide you, you help me. Mm -hmm. And they were they were receptive to that. You know, they they accepted that answer. But I think that we need to be reminded that when we feel like our students are behind, they are exactly on time. Because that's who they are, and every class is unique. The dynamics are different. And, you know, and kids we nowadays, just guide. Yeah, and kids nowadays are in, in the grade-level classroom. Um, even in, in kindergarten, sometimes are really pushed with literacy and really pushed with math skills. Like, you know, where students – or what students have to do in kindergarten is a lot – there's a lot higher expectation than when I was in kindergarten. For sure. <laughs> when you're in kindergarten, you know. I remember kindergarten being like, you know, cutting with scissors and knowing my phone number and coloring. Like, I'm, I mean, it was maybe a little bit more complicated than that, but I don't think much. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I think about what Macy is bringing home and I'm sure Nina as well. And, and thankfully I, 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 she's very happy and she's doing well. And, and I'm sure Nina is too, she is. but, um, but I, I do worry about that with, with kids that sometimes like there's all this pressure on them to be at a certain level and to know a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So in the music classroom, like that's what I mean by letting it go. Like, it's okay. You don't need to push them that they have to know. I keep using Ray as the example, but like right. Ray, half note or tea ticker or whatever, like, you know, get them where to where you can get them and go from there you know yeah. and if they leave enjoying class that's fantastic yeah for sure all right is there anything else no I think we covered a lot of topics tonight we did I didn't put our soapbox but hopefully you feel better as you're listening <laughs> I hope so I feel better <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right do you want to talk about what we're consuming sure Okay, so um, my husband Scott just found this new Connor Oberst project. Do you like Connor Oberst? I you? do. Called Better Oblivion. Uh, sorry, let me say that again. Better Oblivion Community Center. Okay. Connor Oberst, and I'm sorry, I don't know the the name of the woman off the top of my head, but he's like collaborating with a female singer, and it's really cool music. That's cool. 
Yeah, I have a, we've I've only listened to a few songs, but I was like, oh, I'm totally digging this. So I'm excited to dive into that more. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. What about you? You know, I I was thinking about what my answer would be tonight. And I think just generally speaking, I have to say tech. I mm-hmm. feel immersed in technology right now. I, mm-hmm. with my fourth graders, I'm focused on um, using Flipgrid this year to mm-hmm. help the students send me videos to assess and get their belts. Yeah. I am taking notes while I'm talking to you on my rocket book, which is so oh, cool. So our principal just showed <laughs> us that. At parents' conferences, I still need to order mine. So tell, tell me about it. What are you loving about it? Or t- tell people like what the premise is because it's a really unique premise. It is. So the rocket book is special paper in a notebook that is gridded, which I love. I like grid paper rather than lined paper, but that's just a nerdy preference I have. And at the bottom of each of these like thicker specialty pieces of paper, there is a QR code and several um, symbols. So as I take notes with this special pen on my special paper... Uh, I'm able to then scan into an app using the QR code any of the pages that I've written on. And mm-hmm. then when I mark the symbol at the bottom, it gives the signal for the QR code to read and then send that paper to whatever symbol I've marked. So one of those symbols sends it to Google Drive. I can send it to OneNote. I could send it to Dropbox. So mm-hmm. that written note that I've just taken then goes through the app and is sent directly to that drive, whichever drive I choose. That's so cool. It is so cool. There is also a a transcribing section of it that I haven't even tried yet. So if you have 75 words or less on your paper or 75 characters, I want to say, then um, it can then also transcribe it for you in type which is amazing. And then when I'm done with that paper, I have basically it reminds me of the kind of um, the kind of fabric that you would use to clean your glasses, like that similar, like, right. I don't know, probably a polyester. But if you dampen that fabric that they've given you, it then also completely clears and wipes the paper. So the paper is reusable as well. And And it's so cool. What did did Anthony tell us about, our principal told us something about like putting it in the microwave. Is that a special one? Yes. If you buy the wave rather than the rocket book, if you have um, pages, multiple pages that you want to erase, you just put it in the microwave with the damp cloth and it erases the entire book for you. Which is like cool and weird, mind boggling. Yeah. <laughs> so I will say, you know, at our last PD day, I chose to take my PD notes throughout the day on that book. And I was actually at three different buildings on that PD day. So it was really nice to not have to carry all these extra materials. And at the end of the day, I just sent it to my Google Drive. Yeah. So it's so nice that I don't have to file that paperwork, but I still had 
the ability to write because I don't I'm I'm not a millennial. I just will never be able to just type something and understand it the same way that I do if I write it down. Right. So I'm geeking out. I love it. That's really cool. And And I've been using Spectrums this week too. So I'm just say Spectrums because we just we just played a little bit with Spectrums today. Yeah. Um, So for those of you listening, if you don't know what Spectrums are, we actually just did a podcast episode with Jenna Polensky about Spectrums and what they are and how to use them in the music classroom. And I can link to that episode in the show notes, which you can find the show notes at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and then you click on podcast. Um, So yes, we now have 10 rings, 10 Spectrum rings in the music room at my building. And, um, and you've been busy, like, well, you bought Amy Abbott's awesome, colorful melody set. I did, Amy Abbott, you're awesome. Oh my gosh, I did, I messaged her today and I said, this is so amazing. Like, I didn't, I didn't really realize how amazing this It's really was. amazing. I've had it for a while, but I didn't realize how amazing it was until I sat there and was like creating tone sets. I was like, oh, well, she already has the work done. I just figure out which one of these which yep. one of the concepts she created I want to use and then I create it and then it's done. done. And then I put that page that she already made and that's what kids can use and you know it's so cool. It's pretty fantastic. And you can use them for boom whackers too. They yeah. all line up in that way as well. Yeah. I wonder you could probably use them for like um like handbells too. Yes. Like I said, of like those handbells that are different colors. Mm-hmm. I think she mentions that in her in her I notes. Think it totally could work. Yeah. Yes. Except like, you would have to use one particular tone set, I guess, for boom whackers too. Mm-hmm. Boom whackers are typically like red as C. Same thing with the handbells. I think right. Red and all of all of her bundle is is set in multiple tone sets. So it's nice because all you have to do is click on the C C do or. Fdo or Gdo, which is really, really brilliant, Amy. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And thanks for being on, Katie. Thank you. Um, you. And so I'm going to actually wait three weeks before I release another podcast episode. And the reason I'm waiting three weeks is because there's a pretty big event coming up. I am co-chairing the OAKE conference in Columbus, Ohio, March 21st through the 24th. Um, So because I know I have that coming up, I didn't want to put a podcast episode on my plate right before that event. But what I'm hoping to do is to record some audio at the conference with people like Amy Abbott Uh and um, Carla Chewinski and Andrew Ellingson and people that I know I'll be hanging out with so that we can kind of debrief about like, what session did you go to today? What did you really enjoy? That kind of thing. And then kind of compile everything into one podcast episode. That's at least what I have envisioning in my head, but we'll see. (laughs) It might be a little bit different than that, but I am so excited about this conference. Yeah, I'm really excited too. It's all coming together. It's going to be great. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We're excited. So I hope this has been helpful to all the listeners out there as you are adapting your lessons. If you see your kids a little bit less than you'd like as well. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you.